Hello, everyone, and welcome to Masters of Digital Transformation, a podcast from AIM10X dedicated to uncovering the best practices and most valuable learnings from the world's leading change agents and community of global innovators. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and as always, we're here to provide you with the actionable insights from today's greatest thought leaders to guide and accelerate your journeys. In today's episode, we'll be joined by the former CEO of Morelli, Beta Bolzinius, Uh, to discuss a CEO's perspective on the current supply chain crisis in the automotive industry. We'll start by talking a little bit more about the initial challenges in the supply chain that started in 2020, and then compare them to what automotive suppliers are currently experiencing today. We'll also discuss how Beta was able to lead his teams through some of these unique and unprecedented challenges. And then we'll close out the conversation by taking a look at how to leverage digital transformation to overcome these hurdles of the current supply chain crisis in the automotive industry. But with all that said, let's introduce today's very special guest. Today, we're so excited to be joined by, again, Beta Bolzinus. Beta has over 30 years of experience in leadership roles across the global automotive industry in Germany, the USA, Mexico, South Africa, China, and Japan. His career was based on a strong technical background and operational experience in engineering, manufacturing, logistics, and supply chain management. He had leadership positions in market-leading companies like Bosch and Johnson Controls. And most recently, Beta was the president and CEO of the KKR-owned supplier, Morelli, one of the 10 largest suppliers in the world. He led significant transformational initiatives, improving competitive position of the divisions and companies, and created recognized value. Beta, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, Kalat. Thanks for having me. We're so thrilled that you were willing to take some time out of your day just to share some of your insights and perspective here. Without further ado, let's go ahead and get into that topic at hand, which is the current supply chain crisis. So we are now two and a half years into the supply chain crisis that was caused largely by the global pandemic. So Beta, what can you tell me about some of the challenges that you faced at the beginning of the crisis? And and then maybe you could elaborate a little bit more on how they've shifted more recently. Yeah, well, at the beginning, when it started, it was obviously from the mechanism and the way that it was hitting the industry uh, and the economy in total, something completely new. I think that the automotive industry was prepared uh, on financial crisis, economic crisis, on uh, on, a, on an oil crisis uh, by uh, having a, a tool set and a set of parameters that you would be checking, like gasoline prices, uh, like uh, uh, consumer confidence, uh, inventory levels um, at the uh, dealerships, uh, so that you develop a good feeling for how deep the crisis is, how far it is coming. You had an, an idea about interest rates. You, you know how much credit card volume was involved in car sales. The nature of that crisis that we faced with the pandemic was totally different and totally new. Uh, it was incredibly difficult for uh, the company to estimate uh, the impact uh, to come back with a a very solid and and credible forecast. So just the structure, the nature of the beast was totally new, uh, not only to the automotive industry, but to the economy in total. Uh, On top of that, uh, the way to fix it, uh, to shut down facilities, to lay off people, to adjust capacities, to schedule your uh, supply base, had to follow completely uh, new and complete different sequences. Uh, It was equally important uh, to be in close touch with the government, with the regional authorities, 
to manage the crisis and to manage the, your shutdowns and, and your flexibility on the shop floor as it was to be close to your customers. Everybody was surprised. So if you look at the volatility of the rules and regulations uh, that were defining your framework on how to act uh, on the crisis, the volatility of the policies, the volatility of regulations coming from the government is just one example. I mean, uh, the US changed their approach on, on how to react to the crisis three, four times uh, till they decided, well, they will support it from the government and you could basically lay off people and they continue to get their paycheck. So government toolboxes, uh, regional implications, trying for looking for, uh, for, for managing for new tools to manage the complexity was something completely new. I think it was more that shock uh, that was defining the crisis at the very beginning. Uh, and the industry obviously found out uh, how to handle the situation, the regulations being more uh, stability and credibility. They were handled pretty similar in uh, across all, all Europe, which was very, very helpful. So it started to stabilize and to sort out uh, so that the relationship between the supplier and the OEM customer got more and more important. Uh, and that was a learning process by itself. Um, I think, uh, as you know, the automotive industry is organized in an extremely hierarchical way. Uh, it, it worked for many, many years, for decades, pretty well, uh, even with the volatility of 5 to 10% in the market, uh, with the clear understanding that this is a top-down system, a very hierarchical system, uh, there the OEM is uh, telling you what he needs, uh, how he's needing it and when, and uh, your role is to supply. It, it was a top-down agreement that was just working with the existing IT structure, with the existing legal structure and commercial structure behind it. The contractual agreements were al aligned with it, and it was just tracking uh, stuff day by day. Uh, and that whole thing got obviously out of sync uh, with this pandemic uh, impact, and specifically uh, because uh, the, the the lack of capacity and uh, the difficulty, the technical difficulty of the industry to ramp up their capacities. Uh, and obviously, uh, the components that had the longest lead time were the first to fail and are still defining the supply crisis uh, in, in his uh, center still today. These technical lead times are the semiconductors. The semiconductors have a, a lead time of, uh, I would say, average a year, uh, starting with the wafer production. This is a process, a chemical process to grow these crystals uh, in a way that they are, uh, are good enough for the quality expectations of the automotive industry uh, that you cannot accelerate. It's a process, a chemical process that just uh, can be tuned and trimmed uh, by temperature and pressure and humidity and all kind of other things. But at the end of the day, there are physical and chemical limits uh, to accelerate that process. So that alone is a couple of months of lead time. So if you increase your demand, Already at the very beginning of the supply chain, the, the demand uh, was significantly higher than the installed uh, capacity. 
there's so many moving parts, and uh, I like that you you kind of highlight that you know receiving the materials was its own form of supply chain challenge. Uh, you couldn't really do your part until you receive the materials needed. But but I can imagine uh, this was a, a challenge that was amplified just by having business in so many different continents. One of the pain points that you've mentioned previously is having to, to manage that workforce at different speeds due to those legislation you mentioned earlier. Uh, these regions include North America, Europe, and China. How did you go about addressing and, and tackling this problem to, to make sure everyone was aligned? Well, first of all, we changed our internal decision-making processes uh, and our priorities uh, pretty drastically. Uh, as you can imagine, you can organize a business in different ways. Uh, one way is you organize it by product line. Uh, and Morelli, for example, has half a dozen of different product lines from headlamps, interior electronics, uh, down to suspension systems uh, and other businesses that are competing in different environments and, and following different logics. So there's a strong argument to organize your business by product areas. Uh, there is um, a possibility to organize the business functionally so that you have a central engineering center, that you have uh, somebody centrally responsible for uh, manufacturing uh, others for purchasing, so a very functional organization. Um, what we did was to switch our organization to a strict regional uh, organization, to a very strict regional approach. So we really empowered uh, the people in North America and somewhere even between Mexico and North America to different people uh, and in Europe, even by country. So we organized strictly um, into the crisis management and the number one priority was to let the existing capacity running at the best possible speed, at the best possible utilization. So switching the organization into a regional uh, management approach uh, that was reflected in the meeting sequence, which was reflected in the question who was speaking up in meetings, uh, who was authorized to take decisions, uh, was not able, you couldn't do that by product line anymore. You couldn't do it by uh, functional arguments anymore. You needed to really react very closely to your customer. In some cases, directly talking plant manager to plant manager on a very regional base. I think that was um, the most fundamental thing we did, um, including the government relationship, uh, including really the HR relationship to the unions. Uh, and getting all stakeholders at the table in the region to come to an agreement, what's the best forward? I mean, again, that sounds like uh, the, the coordination challenges there alone, I mean, between different time zones and regions. And, and then one thing you and I had spoken out previously was also sort of a, a difference between the, the legal lead times and technical lead times. So being able to orchestrate those, as you put it. Uh, and I actually want to st you know, stop on that for a moment. Morelli, it's much like a car itself, right? All the parts... They have to work together to get that desired result. What sorts of obstacles did you encounter when your legal lead times and technical lead times were no longer in sync? Well, these are technical challenges that you are facing, but at the same time, significant commercial uh, challenges that you are obviously facing. On the, on the technical side, um, as you described it already, I think there's a straight, as I mentioned, hierarchical top-down system uh, where electronically... Uh, the orders uh, from a customer are uh, put down or pushed down uh, into the supply base, pushed down to the tier ones, 
by different time zones. Uh, so you get a framework contract for a platform lifetime, four or five years. And for that platform, you need to guarantee a certain capacity. Um, so you make run at rate test, uh, the customer is coming to your plant and, and watching how people are working and making sure that you have that capacity to have continuous supply guaranteed in your basic capacity. So you need to get into a financial and commercial commitment there. Um, then you have um, the release processes uh, over the time, over running um, and ramping up uh, the different platforms. And that is staggered. You get a forecast, a production forecast for a couple of months. Uh, you get a, uh, finally a production forecast for a couple of weeks. And then the real legal binding order uh, is then coming electronically um, as what the industry calls an EDI. Uh, and that's just a system-to-system -system order. This is what you're going to ship next week. And that's a total must. And uh, that system uh, was very balanced. That uh, system was working and well uh, managed by the different IT systems and the, the different responsibilities in the organization. Uh, but that system was totally out of sync. So then the commercial part is that the, the question comes up, so who, who, who is in charge here? Who needs to pay for uh, downtimes? Who is paying for over inventory? I mean, inventories was going through the roof at the point in time. Premium freight, basically everything was shipped last minute uh, with special cost. Last but not least, downtimes, people uh, that you need to send home because the customer switched uh, the schedule. So the uh, financial and commercial implications uh, were really tough. And for the supply base, it was uh, not only that it was simply out of sync, uh, but the question on how do you create a document, uh, and I would call it how do you create the base for a solid claim management uh, that is not overstating anything, that is not asking for money, that is not yours, uh, but at the end of, on the other side, that is very strictly separating from implications to your cost base that's coming from the outside, uh, things that are simply force majeure or uh, things that you did for the customer because he did unusual things. I want to go a little deeper on, on what you were talking about, the case management or, or sort of tracking and documenting, uh, you know, so, sort of how some of these transactions occurred. Because, of course, in any successful business, you know, customer service and meeting that demand, that really is an essential item. But again, because of the supply chain crisis, there really was more tension between what customers wanted in the short term and what was achievable in terms of bottom line results in the long run due to the uncertain nature of these forecasts and supply shortages. So could you share a little more detail on this push and pull and why having that recorded history and documentation is important? All tier ones were absolutely keen to do their best uh, to continue uh, with an in-time and on-time supply as much as, he, as they could. So, uh, the inventories that I uh, explained uh, were ramping up and were going through the roof uh, because you felt committed uh, to bring in all the other material uh, to an agreed-to production plan. Uh, and you already knew that that production plan will not be okay. Um, so you had 
the seats, the interiors, the headlamps, the, the everything for Model A in-house, uh, and a $1.50 chip was missing to produce the car. Um, so uh, significant uh, uh, technical financial uh, impact, and everybody, I think, was trying to do uh, really the best. But there were conflicts. Um, and uh, those conflicts are that uh, if you get a call Monday morning and say, look, what I told you Friday, I don't need that. I, I, I don't need different parts. Or uh, even what happened is that, uh, that the customer tells you, look, I need that component or subsystem from a competitor of you. So please ship your chip uh, to your competitor so that the competitor can ship uh, the the right mix that I'm needing, where where your parts are still not matching. So you got you brought even your competitor into a competitive position to do revenue uh, while you were staying away from it. That's even difficult to evaluate on uh, what what is the financial implication of that. So, but the the, the fundamental would be that uh, you could register your downtimes in the manufacturing line. You would know how many people had been there, um, how many of them were working half a shift and went home, that you know how much material you brought in uh, on on a certain 24-hour window and break that down on an inventory cost uh, that you really can explain uh, what is regular freight and what is premium freight that you had by putting it on, on each and every part number. These are massive, unprecedented challenges, of course, and there's probably uh, not, a, not necessarily a clear path forward. For you, when you're navigating these uncertain or unclear areas of the business with, without even that legal safety net that was alluded to earlier, I mean, what role do you think transparency plays in maintaining healthy relationships with your partners, your customers, your employees, and even your board members? Well, in, in such a tense situation, in such a rapidly developing uh, sequence of events, uh, I think transparency is uh, the, the one and only uh, thing and the tracking of records and uh, putting it in a sequence, uh, the data that are available the, in, into a sequence, into a logic that you uh, later can explain as a pattern or as a tendency or uh, with some analytics uh, in the back. Um, that's a must. And, and it, it was not available. Uh, it was not available uh, with the right level of detail and uh, with the right level of analytics uh, be behind it. And uh, that makes it difficult from the beginning. In a tense situation, to come in with half-baked statistics uh, is the end of the discussion. And again, one way that you can have accurate statistics is by having great data sets that, that come in there. I mean, so I'd love to get your perspective here. I mean, what role does having accurate data play in enabling that essential transparency? Yeah, it's uh, both things at, uh, at the same level, I would say. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's really the right data is, a, is an absolutely must. But at the same time, to connect those data, uh, so to translate the number of people that you sent home in Kentucky to uh, a financial number uh, in your system uh, with all consequences, without overstating it. These rules of how to translate one to the other is, I think, in a discussion with your customer, equally important. 
that you tell him I'm not uh, paying the vacation days here. I- I'm only charging you the direct loan, just to pick one example. And this is what, what how it translates. So the rule book on how do you come to your number and link that uh, to the to the raw data. Uh, I think it's equally important as the raw data. An essential must that really is going to enable you to make the the best decisions as quickly as possible. Why do you think it's so important that companies have these systems in place or these platforms in place uh, that are flexible and have all the data in one place uh, so they can enable you to, to quickly read and react to the situation when these sort of unexpected disruptions occur? I think it's one of the main lessons learned from that entire crisis. Uh, that uh, companies with this kind of supply chain, with this kind of complexity to manage, need to get prepared for that volatility in the future, for geopolitical or natural disasters or pandemics or whatever it, uh, it will be in the future. I think the volatility in the business will go up. The old rules that I mentioned at the beginning uh, of our discussions like oil p- or gas prices in North America or inventory levels at the dealer or credit card involvement in car sales. All these criteria will not reflect the biggest risk of the business. The biggest risk of the business is one level higher with a lot more complexity and it requires immediate reaction very quickly. Uh, so if you start installing new systems When the crisis has started, you're definitely too late. Changing an IT system takes a long time. Uh, In in some cases, in the size of Marelli, for example, it certainly takes three to four years uh, because you need to adjust your processes, you need to uh, do do your platform, you need to run a pilot, you need to, you know the game. It, It just takes time. Um, so if you want to prepare the company, uh, for the volatile future, as I see it coming for the automotive industry, it's not good enough to have world-class products, uh, to have the right manufacturing location, to have good manufacturing quality uh, and good, great technical people on board. It will be equally important, equally important to have robust and highly standardized processes in your entire organization. And you're putting on top of that the right IT and smart systems uh, that you need to do and to run your analytics. Uh, That's something that a company of mid-size up to the bigger conglomerates really need to learn from from that crisis. That's now the time uh, for a high level of standardization of your systems, uh, a high level of analytics, uh, a high level of data uh, collection uh, that in, in in today's world, uh, with different systems. I think in, in Morelli, we had a dozen of, of different systems. If you go through warehouse and, and, and EDIs and uh, manufacturing planning, certainly too many. Standardizing those, uh, installing the processes accordingly and creating that kind of transparency is a must for the volatile future that we are seeing in the industry. What would you say is missing from legacy planning solutions that maybe uh, more emerging next generation planning platforms are already bringing to the table to help organizations to 
prepare for this sort of volatility? Well, the, the, the main problem that I see is um, not, not so much with the, with the systems. The systems are as good as they have been developed 15, 20 years ago. The, those systems are as good as they are today. The problem is that they work in an environment with uh, 5% up and down. So if, if the automotive business goes down 5% or 7%, it's already bad for the business because it's not such a big margin business. But on the other side, it's, it's still stable enough uh, to be run uh, with the systems that had been in place, with, which were supported very handishly uh, in some cases where uh, you build uh, interfaces between an older system and a new system and, and you had uh, an, an artwork on uh, solutions uh, in your in your company the problem is really that it works uh, in in stable times as soon as it gets a little bit more critical it is collapsing and that means in automotive you're losing money going back to the the value of data and transparency so from your perspective how does having transparency and the data available through a single platform how does this empower you as a chief decision maker of the company well significantly uh, if you can aggregate uh, the analytics that i mentioned it's not only the data but data is uh, the fundamental to see uh, like the big data guys do in the in in their uh, uh, programs um, it's it's getting just from raw data uh, the relation of certain correlations. You can see correlations uh, in, in data analytics. That alone has an incredible value. So you can even, from all different shop floors, aggregate uh, the information in a way that you can do your company analytics in the right way. Beta, we have covered so much ground today, and I appreciate you sharing a little more perspective on the value of data and innovation. But now that you've transitioned out of your role at Morelli, based on the learnings from the last two years, what recommendations would you give to CEOs and supply chain leaders in the automotive industry today? The weight and uh, the importance of new systems and preparing your processes for a more volatile business environment must be equally important as uh, developing new products, uh, as restructuring programs for your plants, as uh, new manufacturing technologies, which is the core uh, job of the tier ones. They need to learn that it is equally important to look at risk management again, which, which, which came up uh, after the 2008-2009 uh, financial crisis as a new management must, and in the meantime, got a little bit boring. Doing a severe uh, and deep uh, risk management, uh, driving standardization as one tool to react on volatility. If you sell Coca-Cola, uh, if it goes down, it's still Coca-Cola. But if you need to be so diverse in your offering, uh, you've got a problem. So get more standardization on your product lines, get your complexity significantly reduced on the system side, formalize your knowledge base. I talked a little bit about uh, the expertise of five or six people in the company. That needs to be common knowledge. That needs to be formalized. That needs to be translated to, to just be competitive in the future when, when things go up and down. 
What next steps would you give to business leaders who are tuning in today who are experiencing their own form of supply chain crisis in their industry? What should they do first to identify and address the issues that are in front of them? I would divide it in tactical actions and strategic tasks. And and unfortunately, these are different things uh, once in a while. On a tactical side, I think empower the right people to define regional priorities to get the right organization in place with the right people and keep the line open to your customers. Incredibly important on the highest possible level. No CEO from an OEM will give you a commitment in a call, but to create a level of uh, dialogue and sympathy uh, to your customer is essential. The better the dialogue is through all different levels, uh, the easier uh, things can be managed. I think the solution for these uh, problems are of strategic nature. These are not things that can be fixed within three months, but they can be written down and they can be tracked and they can be driven forward. Unfortunately, in times of financial pressures uh, that the industry is suffering, you always need to take your decision and, and get your priorities. Do I invest in new products or do I invest in new IT systems? And I tell you, Uh, how that discussion went in the past. Uh, But at the end of the day, uh, it's a problem. I think for that part, what might be missing is the credibility of business cases. What is a dollar that I spend for IT giving me as a payback? That discussion always pushes the responsibility for the new systems to the IT group uh, that just want to give the right level of service. Uh, But the shop floor at the end of the day, need to pay for it. So the question is, what is your business case uh, for installing uh, such a new system? What is the value story behind it? And ask for that value story right from the very beginning to to avoid uh, that the organization is running over it and taking it as a, a second most important item in times of financial pressure. Well, there's just so much we could continue to dig into here, Beta. And uh, again, these are tremendous insights that you've shared with with me and our listeners today. Uh, But unfortunately, we are out of time. Is there anything else you would like to add about your perspective on the the current supply chain crisis in the automotive industry for our listeners today? Well, I want to to end it perhaps on a high note. Uh, I think the industry over many, many years has proven that they can adjust to more and more difficult circumstances. After being 35 years in that business, every five years, I thought it cannot get worse, uh, or the pressure cannot be, or the complexity cannot get higher, or the challenges cannot be higher, but it will. And and this is just a, a new phase of uh, new challenges, and it, it has always been uh, the same. You, you don't need to run out your customers. You always need to run out your competitors to stay in the game. Uh, and to do that, um, I think the focus point of how to prepare a company for the future is slightly shifting and it's of strategic nature. So I think the industry is aware of that and the industry will come back. There's so much interesting and so much fascinating stuff going on. I think that the fundamental market is intact. People love individual transportation, individual mobility. Uh, the, the rumors from 10 years ago is that the industry will die. I don't see that. It's worthwhile to invest.
All right. I love that. Ending on a high note. Looks like the future coming out of this uh, this time is looking much more bright. Beta, Bolsa News, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to today's episode featuring Beta Bolsa News covering a CEO's perspective on the supply chain crisis. We started today by talking a little bit more about the initial challenges in the automotive supply chain that started in 2020 and then compared them to what suppliers are currently experiencing today. We also discussed how Beta was able to lead his teams through some of these unique and unprecedented challenges. And then we closed out the conversation by taking a look at how to leverage digital transformation to overcome the hurdles of the current supply chain crisis in the automotive industry. Now, if you enjoyed today's conversation with Beta and you'd like to learn more, you can check out the 09 Solutions blog titled Key Capabilities Automotive OEMs and Suppliers Will Need, and that's going to be linked in today's show notes. To keep up with more episodes of the Masters of Digital Transformation podcast, please give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast app. You can also learn more about the activities and learning opportunities available through the AIM10X Innovators Network by following AIM10X on LinkedIn. As we sign off today, I'd like to echo the words of Philip Crosby. Slowness to change usually means fear of the new. We'll catch you again next time.